Welcome to another podcast from Fire Church Ministries. We hope you enjoy this message by special guest Don Wallabar. privilege to be able to be with you. Uh, this is my wife, Lori. I'm going to let her say a couple of things, and then I'm, I'm going to take off and preach like a wild man. Is that okay? All right, cool, cool. Good morning. We are so thrilled to be here and just to meet so many people and see your smiling faces. And I am telling you, we just felt like we were home. From the first time we walked in the door, we were so loved and welcomed that our hospitality has been so great. Thank you, Paula. And uh, your worship, wow, you guys rock it. I don't know if you're still in here or where you're at, but wow, really great. I love your worship director and your, you guys, you guys got it going. It just felt like home. So thank you. Thank you. You know what? Thank you for just loving Jesus. Above all else, just thank you for loving Jesus. We can't wait. I love the video of, of Australia, what you guys are getting ready to do with the awakening. Wow, that's going to rock it. And, yes, we love Ben and Daniel. And it's just, it's, wow, you guys are really ready, I'm telling you. It's a ripe nation for what God is getting ready. He's already started. But what he's getting ready to fulfill in so many of you, just keep going. I love your testimonies. That's what it's all about, going out and doing life. It's a doing life gospel. You do it every single day, every part of your day, whether you're in school, whether you're at work, whether you're at your uh, Woolworth store. It don't matter where you are. It's doing life every day and just doing it with Jesus. So... Just keep it up. Just on a real quick uh, note, I know many of you know uh, Dan Moeller. Uh, Dan is part of our house as well, and we did a school with Dan and uh, my husband a few years back. I know many of you have taken this school, but uh, we brought some, I will tell you first, Brisbane kind of cleaned us out. Just saying, sorry. But uh, we do have a few products left. We do have the uh, school that uh, Dan and, and Dawn did a few years back. I know many of you have taken it or you've seen it. We sold a lot in Australia of these schools. This is really cool. It's 51 days in here and three hours per disc. And it's a DVD set. So if you're interested, stop out after service. And you are getting this next one hot off of the press. Oh, let me see. Caleb, you were supposed to come up with me. Um, this one here is hot off of the press. This was our new reveal school. Dan was also part of this. And a guy named Bill Vanderbush. If you've not had or the opportunity to get to know Bill, Google him because he's a teacher just like Dan. And he has got some an amazing word and identity sharing. But this one, you were the first people to get it because it was released two days before we left for Australia. So Australia gets the new reveal school first. So yay to you guys for that. So you got that one. And then it's also on MP3. So it's just really cool, whatever you're interested in. If you just want more identity, more revelation of who the Father is and how you're transforming your nation. So keep it up, guys. Transform Australia and go for it. Yeah. Okay. You good? Yeah. All right, thanks. She you help now? Caleb, go ahead. Come on. 
We, we're training him. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Everybody doing good, huh? Yeah. Come on, man. I'm excited. It's a real, it's a, it's a real thrill for me to be here. Uh, man, uh, let me share this with you. I'll tell you why we're in Australia, man. I, and I'm just going to talk to you really, really plain. I had the opportunity to be a lot of different places over the last several years that I never had a tug on my heart. Um, ben Fitzgerald's a friend. And, of course, him and Todd were doing Nuremberg. If some of you went to that, and you might know what I'm talking about. And they said, why don't you come there? And I said, man, I just don't feel that. And I didn't feel uh, Stockholm. I thought a little bit about Prague. But I, I really, when they said awaken Australia, everything inside of me leaped. And, and I'm telling you, I, I really believe this. I'm just going to talk to you really, really plain. But I, I began praying about, God, what are you doing on the earth? What are you doing right now? What's going on in, on the planet? And I felt very, very strong that the Lord was speaking. Uh, and, and I'll use this phrase and try to hear this the right way. But I said, Lord, is there a revival? He said, no, it's a renaissance. And, and, a, and you have to understand, a, a revival will touch people, but renaissance changes culture. And God is about changing the culture in your in your country. And, and, and as I was praying into this, I mean, this was really, really solid in my heart. And, and I, so I started asking the Lord, God, what are you doing in the midst of all this? And I really felt like I, I never met Daniel in Chelsea. I, we have a lot of mutual friends, as he said. But I really felt like, man, there's something about Fire Church and the worship of this house that's actually going to impact the nation. And, and it was real solid in my spirit. And I started saying, Lord, what's going on in the midst of all these things? And then, you know, the whole marriage of quality thing that's going on and the, and the challenges that you guys are faced with as a nation because we've crossed a lot of those bridges already in America, uh, not very successfully. I will tell you it's been a mess, uh, but in the midst of all that, the church has really had an opportunity to shine. Out of that place, I said, God, what's going on? What's happening? And let me take you somewhere scripturally and then we'll talk about it, okay? Go to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to talk about a whole bunch of familiar scripture, but I'm going to try to show you a different angle on some stuff today, okay? But in Matthew chapter 16, we have where, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And, and if you look around verse 13, it'll say something right along this line. When he came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Have you ever wondered about why does he ask that question? Like anytime I'm reading the Bible, I'm like trying to put myself right in the midst of God, what are you speaking? What are you doing? Why would he ask a question? Who do men say? Do you think it might have been because he was insecure? He was a little worried about what they, hey, what are they saying about me? Am I okay? Do they like me? I don't know. I didn't get a whole lot of likes on Facebook this week. Come on. He, he wasn't, it wasn't out of that place. There's a reason that he asked that. Jesus doesn't do anything without reason, purpose, right? So in the midst of all that, he says, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Right? And they looked at him and they said, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Right? And he looks at them and says, but who do you say that I am? Right? Come on, we all know this. This is where Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Everybody okay? But in the midst of that, he says something I think is really huge. He said, who do you say that I am? You know why he says that? Because he's literally asking them, he's saying, listen, are you going to be moved by public opinion or are you going to be moved by what you know is truth? Come on. I really believe that right now that's where the church is at in Australia. Are we going to be moved by the popular vote? Are we going to be moved by the public opinion? Or are we going to stand for what we know is truth? And there's something about you and I saying, you know what? I can't be moved by what everybody else thinks. I know what God's called me to. And there's a place of standing in righteousness and defending truth. Come on. We speak the truth, but we do it in love. Am I right? Come on, man. There's something about you and I understanding that reality. And I think that becomes really, really solid in our lives. I, 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 can I take you from that place? It's just, I'm just kind of kind of flow a little different. I feel God in this. But 1 John chapter 4, right? We speak the truth in love. So verse 7 says something I think that we need to understand. 
He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God, come on, say it. God is love, right? Does it say that? God is love, right? Now, what's really interesting, it didn't say God has love. It actually said God is love. Come on, why? Because if you have something, you might run out of it. But if you are something, it's the substance of your very being and every cell of your fiber of who you are. Why? Because God is love. He doesn't just have love. He is love. Come on. Then you jump down to verse 16. You know what it says in verse 16? It says it again. God is love. Come on. He repeats it twice in the same little area. Why? Because verse 17, which I preached wrong over the years in the past, but watch what it says. It actually says, as he is, so are we in this world. Now, wait a minute. See, I used to preach as he is, so are we in this world. I'd say, I'd go to Ephesians 2 and 6, we're seated with him in heavenly places, and as he is, so are we in this world. And I'd, I'd preach, I'd get excited about it. You can get excited about something and be wrong. <laughs> it was out of context, because what he just said, if you follow the trail of where it is in the context of what John was writing, he said, God is love, and as he is, so are we. Come on, man, it isn't about you having love, it's about you becoming love. It's about becoming love and allowing love to capture every part of who we are. Because when we become love, watch, we only have one option, and that's to walk in love. Come on, what's plan A? Love, there is no plan B. Come on, we walk in love. And we, and we always, and that's where, that's where love has to triumph. So that, watch, you know, I'll feel this right now. It's a good house to preach in. I feel the anointing of God in this place. But, but I want to talk to you really plain, because here's the reality. There, 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 you're in, you're in transition in the country. Now, I, I, I'm telling you, it's huge. I have people come into my office all the time and say, Pastor, I feel like I'm in transition. And I tell them all the same thing. Listen, from now till Jesus come, you'll be in transition. Come on. <laughs> We're going from glory to glory. You don't get from glory to glory without transition. You don't go from faith to faith without transition. Come on, man. But here's the reality of this thing. What happens is this, and this is what I'm seeing. It's, it's becoming love. It's becoming love. It's not just having love. It's becoming love. Right? How do we become love? Can I tell you? I've, I've had the church praying for a couple of years now, man. God, make me love. Make me love more like you. Make me more like you, God. God, your love. Make me more like you. And then you know what happens? We get in difficult situations, and people get ugly around us, right? And then we're rebuking the devil like he sent them. And it might just be that God sent them because you said, make me like love, right? Because you don't get to become love by hanging around a bunch of lovely people. You become love when some unlovely people start to rub you the wrong way. You become love when you start. It's the challenging guy at work. It's the neighbor that's hard to get along with. Those are the people. And maybe God was sending them to see if you could actually love them. Somebody got to love them. We still speak the truth. Can I say this? Listen to me, man. It's a no compromise gospel. You speak the truth. You stay in a place of truth. But John talks to us about speaking the truth in love, right? You never attack, defend, attack, right? We love, but we still hold the truth. That's really, really important that you get that because there's a renaissance taking place, and your house has a major part in that. I believe that with everything in my spirit. Whew. It's becoming love. As he is, so are we in this world. Whew. Make me love more like you, Jesus. Make me become more like you, Christ. That's a big deal to me, right? You know, here's what I believe in my heart, man. I believe there's a place where we just walk this thing out. We're called to do this, and we got to do it really, really well. Let's go. Luke chapter 10.
Polu wanted me to change my message because I told her what I'm preaching now and she got all excited, but she wants me to, I'm preaching a different one this afternoon. <laughs> you come with me, okay, okay. So, so watch, just go with me to Luke 10. I'm gonna go to a real familiar section of scripture, but I'll show you something you've probably never seen or heard, okay? So in Luke chapter 10, right, there's a, there's a Pharisee, if you would, a scribe, okay? Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. I'm in verse 25, I'm sorry. A certain lawyer stood up and tempted him saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do you say? How do I get to heaven? And Jesus answers the question with a question, which he does all the time, by the way. That's a whole other sermon. He said unto them, what's written in the law and how do you read it? Right? He answering said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said unto him, you've answered right. Do this and live. That's a great conversation. The guy should have walked away. <laughs> right? Oh, love the Lord your God. Come on, what do you say? Love God and love people. Can I talk to you real plain? If you really love God, you'll automatically love people. <laughs> and if you don't love God, you'll never be able to love people properly. Sure. Can I talk to the men in the house? You've got to receive the love of Jesus if you're going to be able to love your wife the way Christ loves the church. And you'll never be able to really love your wife the way Christ loves the church if you can't receive the love of God. Our challenge in the body of Christ isn't learning how to love God. It's learning how to receive his love for us. There's a lot of people that are okay with loving God, but they have trouble receiving God's love because they feel put down or they feel defeated or they feel like they're not worth it. Can I tell you something? He already declared your worth and he sent his son. Come on. He <laughs> said, well, I don't even know if God loves me. You don't know what's going on in my life. Can I tell you something? The circumstances of your life are not the measuring stick of the love of God. The measuring stick of God's love was planted on Calvary 2,000 years ago, and he screamed, I love you. <laughs> and that's the measuring stick of the love of God. He sent his son. He gave his son. That's the love of God. God so loved, he gave. That's why he calls us to a place of generosity, to be like him. Why? Because God's a giver, not a taker. Sure. Boy, I could preach right now on 47 different things, but I better stay where I'm at. So the, scribe, so the lawyer says to him, he says, but, but he tempting him said, well, who is my neighbor? Why? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, well, who is my neighbor? Maybe he didn't want to have to love everybody. Like, I'll love my neighbor, but you got to tell me which one. Because there's a few of them I'd like to say, hey, I don't know about that. Okay. And... and I tell the church at home all the time, man, you don't have to love everybody. You really don't. You only have to love the people Jesus loves. You find somebody he don't love, you're free, man. Okay. Good luck with that. Okay. Good luck with that. Because I, I don't think they're out there. Okay. So watch. Now, this is what I love. This is the part I really enjoy. Jesus answering said, I'm just going to read through the whole thing. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in the oil and the wine, set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and he gave them to the host. And he said unto him, take care of him. And whatever you spend more, when I come again, I'll repay you. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. How powerful is that? We all know that parable is the good Samaritan. I think it's powerful. 
And I've read this and preached this for years. One afternoon I was in my study and I was just kind of doing some personal reading, just, just flipping pages really and reading. And I read that parable and it kind of stayed with me and the Lord said, read it again. So I read it a second time and I said, yeah, Lord, teach us to be like that. Teach us to really love like that. He said, no, read it again. How many, you know, when God tells you read it again, it's not because he missed something. <laughs> it's not because he didn't understand what you said. There's a reason he said read it again. Five times I went through that over and over. Holy Spirit just thumping me, read it again. I went back to it. And I said, okay, you know, after the fifth time, can I say this? Can I talk to you really plain? Sometimes we can get a little attitude with God, like, okay, God, what's up with this? Okay, <laughs> okay I've read this thing five times. I already know it. I can pretty well quote it. Okay, and the Lord said to me, and this was kind of neat. He said, what if we knew all the characters in the story? I said, wow, that would be really cool. So we began to read through it another time. And the Lord said, go back and read it. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and left him half dead. And I said, okay, Lord. He said, the certain man's Adam, so track with me. The certain man's Adam. Jerusalem. He went from Jerusalem to Jericho. What's Jerusalem called? The city of God. The city of peace. Right? It's known, known as both. Adam was created and placed in a perfect environment. Let's call it the city of God or the place of peace. Come on. What's Jericho? If you read Joshua chapter 6, when they march around the walls of Jericho, the walls fall down. They take the city, but at the end of the chapter, Joshua is standing on the heap of rubbish, which used to be the walls, and here's what he says. Cursed be this city. And cursed is the man that rebuilds this city. Come on, it became known at that point as the city of the curse. Adam was placed in a perfect environment, the, the city of God, if you would. And on his way toward the curse, he fell among thieves. John chapter 10, verse 10, you know what it says? It says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the devil. Adam falls among thieves. Come on, what happened? Who, who wounded him, stripped him of his raiment. Wait a minute, Genesis chapter two, at the end of the chapter, you know what it says? Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. But in Genesis three when they eat of the fruit and they fall to the curse what's the first thing they do go and hide themselves why they've been stripped of their raiment they were clothed in the glory of God the weighty presence the kabod but the kabod lifts why and now we're naked and ashamed oh my gosh why stripped him of his raiment left him half dead what do you mean half dead he's spiritually dead but physically alive come on <laughs> yeah. a certain priest comes by and he passes by on the other side. When the priest passes by on the other side, what's that all about? I said, Lord, who's the priest? Uh, he said, who is the priest? The priest is Abraham. Why? Abraham passes by on the other side. Why does that happen? Because Abraham has a covenant with God. But who's the covenant for? It's for him and his descendants, his seed after him. But he could do nothing to help fallen man. <sighs> passes by on the other side. Then by chance a Levite comes by and he looks on him. He looks on him and then passes by on the other side. I said, Lord, what's up with the Levite? He said, who's the Levites? I said, they're the keepers of the law, the lawgiver, Moses. Moses comes, come on, and looks on him. Why does it say that? Here's why it says that. Because the law could show me my sin and tell me what's wrong with me, but it couldn't do anything to help fallen man. And he passes by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, is moved with compassion. Let me
me talk to you about a Samaritan. You need to understand the culture. In the culture of the day, you're either a Jew or a Gentile. But if you're half Jew and half Gentile, oh, then you're a Samaritan. What's that mean? One man that represents every man. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to fallen man. Come on, he didn't wait to, he didn't wait for fallen man to come to him. He came to fallen man. The one man that represents every man. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes, he's moved with compassion. And he comes to fallen man. He pour, oh, he sees him. Come on, he bound up his wounds. What did he do? Poured in the oil and poured in the wine. How many know that's the Holy Ghost? Oh, and reconnects man with heaven that we could declare on earth as it is in heaven. He poured in the oil and the wine, set him on his beast. Wait a minute, took him to the inn. Hi, inn. Come on, man. You're all innkeepers. He brought him to the inn. The inn represents the church. He stays there, right, momentarily. And then when it comes time to leave on the morning, he takes out two denarii and he gives it to the host, the innkeeper, if you would, and says, here, take care of him. Take care of fallen man. You know what's really cool? Study this. If you go back in history and understand the denarii was a day's wage for a servant. And Peter writes and tells us a day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is a day. What was he saying? He's saying here, take care of fallen man. What did he say? If it takes a little longer, come on. If it takes a little bit more, if it's not quite time yet, come on. Somebody needs to hear this. If it's not, well, what did he say? If it takes a little longer, you keep taking care of fallen man. Why? Because I'll pay it. Oh, I, oh, it'll be worth it. When I come again, I will repay you everything. Come on. How many of you know there's a payday that's coming if we'll just stay faithful to the call of God that's on our life? I don't know if you're tracking with me, but man, that 2,000-year clock is ticking. Ooh, baby. Come on. Jesus, teach us what it looks like to take care of fallen man. Teach us what it really means, man. What's this gospel thing all about? Because this is the reality of the gospel. Go and do thou likewise. Can we do it? You better believe we can. Track with me. I'm doing really quick. Now I'm going to do some 90 mile an hour preaching. You guys okay? First Samuel 17. I'm only going to go to the end of this. But I feel this. I got time. Watch my clock for me. <laughs> I'm just trying to be courteous for your children's ministries, folks. First Samuel 17, right? All my Bible scholars in here know where I went to, right? Because it's a real familiar section of scripture. Yeah, let's do it. In 1 Samuel 17, we're going to find a young guy named David, right? And David, David actually gets to this place where he's at home. But how many know David's been anointed to be king? Can I talk to the church real quick? David, when, when Samuel, oh man, I got so much, never mind. Okay, <laughs> When Samuel shows up at Jesse's house, right? Jesse brings seven of his boys before him. And there's not a king to be found. Why? Because David was number eight. How many understand number eight is new beginnings? Sure. But there was an anointing for number eight. Oh, I could preach right now. But listen to me. In the midst of all that, David comes in. He gets anointed. Where was he at? He's out taking care of sheep, 
right? He gets anointed to be king. Guess what happens tomorrow? He goes back out and takes care of sheep. What do you mean? See, the anointing came, but the appointment hadn't come. Oh, sometimes you got to rest in your anointing until the appointment comes. At the appointed time, I'm telling you, God will open the door for you. I feel like there's some anointed people in the house that are just waiting because your appointment's coming. I'm telling you, your appointment won't come by your pastor. It won't come by your leaders. It's going to come by heaven. Heaven's going to open the door. You don't need to kick the door down. You don't need to break it down. Why? Because your appointed time is coming. Man, I hear that. God is raising you up for such a time as this. The stand under the anointing at the appointed time and God's goodness is going to be released on this nation. Man, it's strong in my spirit right now. So David, David's at home. I got to watch this. David's at home, right? Brothers are in the army and there's this giant guy named Goliath. I'll preach this all out this afternoon, but let me give you the Reader's Digest. This giant guy is is threatening the armies of Israel. I don't know if you know this, but for 40 days he comes before Israel and threatens them, says, choose you a man that he might come and fight with me. If you got a man that kills me, we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy you. Choose a man that he may come and fight. For 40 days, all of Israel's army continues to flee. Jesse sends David to the battle, right? And he's got some bread and cheese, a little tomato sauce, we'll make pizza. <laughs> gets there when he does that giant comes out again and here's what happens he cries out and says choose you a man that he might come and fight with me if he kills me we'll be your slaves if I kill him you'll be our slaves I defy you and all the soldiers run and hide and David Sanders said what's going on and then the town crier comes out if you would and makes this declaration he said It'll be that whoever kills this giant will be enriched with great riches, marry the king's daughter, and his father's house will be free from tax. And David's light went on. Ding! And he turned around and he said, what'd they say? It's <laughs> exactly what happened. He said, what'd they say? And then somebody came back to him and said, whoever kills this giant, you'll be enriched with great riches, marry the king's daughter, and your father's house will be free from tax. Can I talk to the church right now? Oh, listen. Let me, let me go a little further. I'm just going to kind of condense this real fast. But Eliab, his oldest brother, came to him. And he said, what are you doing here, punk? It's, it's in the message Bible that way. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. Okay. <laughs> and, and he said, he said, why aren't you home just taking care of them few measly sheep anyway? Just go back home. You just come out here. You just want to see the battle. And David looked at him and blew him completely off. And said, is there not a cause? And he turned and said, what did that guy say about marrying? What? What's that all about? Right? You'll be enriched with great riches, married a king's daughter, your father's house will be free from tax. I'll talk to you about a couple of things right now. First thing I want to tell you is this. Eliab couldn't see the anointing that was on his brother. But David already knew he had been anointed to be king. Can I talk to you? Don't allow what somebody can't see that's on you to keep you from walking in what you know is on you. Just because your family don't see it, just because your neighbor don't see it, just because your brother don't see it, that don't mean you can't walk in it, man. You gotta know what's inside of you. You gotta know the anointing that's on your life. You gotta know, God, I've been called. I've been chosen. I've been anointed. I've been empowered. And I'm about to be released on the earth. My God, somebody in the house gotta know this is your time. 
your hour, your day, your month, your year. This is it, man. We are ready. <sighs> David didn't hold anything back. He turned and he looked and he said, what did that guy say? He said, you're being rich with great riches, married a king's daughter, your father's house be free from tax. David got kind of excited. Here's why. He'd been anointed to be king. But you got to know, in the culture of the day, to be king, you had to come from the lineage of the king. If the king died, his son would take the place. Right? Marry the king's daughter puts me in the king's lineage. Can I talk to somebody? There's a place where David understood something. There's a prophetic promise on my life that I'm going to be king. Samuel anointed me and told me I'm going to be king. I'm good, man. I, he told me I'm going to be king. In the midst of all that, here's what I want you to know. David's been anointed to be king. He's got a prophetic promise to be king, and he sees a giant uh, with a sword. Uh, watch, uh, but he's got no covenant. Uh, I've been anointed to be king. i got a prophetic promise on my life. A giant can't kill me till I fulfill my promise. Why? Because when God says you're going to be king, you're going to be king, and giants can't keep you from your destiny. I, I feel like there's somebody in the house that's got some destiny on your life and you'll say, I don't care about no giant with a sword. I got a promise and a covenant with God. So David, David just simply says something really serious. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? Now, Goliath is nine foot nine. David's a little guy, but he ain't worried about you. Why? Circumcision was a mark of covenant. God's people had a covenant, and the covenant with Abraham was marked by circumcision. What David just said is, a giant without a covenant ain't no match for a boy with one. Shoo, shoo. You got to know your covenant promise. David said, let's go, man. It's game on. Oh. There's so much here, but I got to get to the end. You guys know the story. Goliath comes at him. Goliath comes at him. What's he saying? He said, I'm going to chew you up and spit you out, boy. You're nothing. I'm going to feed your flesh to the fowls of the air. It's like, blah, blah, blah. can I talk to you? Goliath represented hell and everything that hell could throw at the children of God. Intimidation is still one of the greatest tools of the enemy. Come on. The church suffers from the sin of comparison because we're even intimidated by one another. And it's hell that causes that. Well, I can't, I can't sing like her. I can't teach like him. I can't preach like this. And, all of a sudden, and we just continue to put ourselves down. Why? We're intimidated by the sin of comparison. It's nothing but hell trying to come against us. That's good preaching, brother, right there. That's good preaching. Okay, cool, cool, good. So, okay, okay, come on. <laughs> yeah. So in the midst of that, what, what I want you to understand is this. There's a place where we got to understand whose we are, right? So David gets on bold. And when he gets on, here's what's going on. David comes to the giant. He goes down and gets five smooth stones. I'll preach that part out this afternoon. But David actually comes out. And what? He takes a slingshot. You guys know the story. Whacks him right in the middle of the head. Cloth falls down. But you got to read the rest of the story. He runs, stands on top of Goliath. David ain't got a sword, but Goliath got a sword. Takes Goliath's own sword and cuts off his head. Oh. I said, Lord, that's really cool. He cut off his head. He said, yeah, sometimes you've got to silence the enemy's voice. Come on. Sometimes you've got to silence the enemy's voice in your life. Oh. Cuts off his head. 
But if you read the end of the chapter, what's really cool at the end of the chapter is this. David takes the head of, Jer of, of Goliath to the city of Jerusalem. Took the head, right? I think that's really cool that he took the head to Jerusalem. But you have to understand, culture, again, two kings go to war. Our army beats your army. We cut off the king's head. They would put it on a pole, if you would, a wooden pole, and they would hold it up as a sign of victory. We've defeated our enemy. So when David goes into Jerusalem with glass head on a post, a pole, right? Come on. He takes that in there, and it's like a ticker tape parade, man. I mean, they're shouting. They're cheering, throwing confetti, throwing babies in the air. It's a great day. <laughs> they're celebrating. It's a celebration all over the place, man. It's like exciting on their behalf. Here's what I want you to understand. Culture. Catch the culture. You got a, a, the head of a giant. What do you do with this thing now? According to Jewish culture, it's an unclean thing. So it means it's got to be buried. You got 24 hours to bury. You even find that a lot, a lot of the of, of the nations today, the mid, Middle Eastern nations, they still have that, that it's it's 24 hours, right? You got to get it buried. It's how, like when Lazarus died. Right? They didn't wait for Jesus to come and perform the funeral. Why? He wasn't any good at funerals. He messed them up. <laughs> they got 24 hours to get him in the grave. Everybody okay? That's just the culture of the day. So what happens? They got to take Goliath's head and bury it. Now, understand culture. Do you bury it in the city or out of the city? Can't bury it in the city. It's unclean. You can't bury anything that's unclean inside the city. Got to take it outside the city. And they bury the head of Goliath. Okay? One of the things you got to understand is this. Goliath was known as the Philistine, the champion of Gath. Gath was one of the ten cities of the Decapolis. That's the ten major cities of the Philistines. You guys know that? Goliath of Gath, right? Okay. Now, let's fast forward because David defeats him, take the head, buried outside the city. But a thousand years later, one who's known as the son of David would come. He would come. And when he came, what happened? They brought him before Pilate. Pilate's trying to get rid of him. He can't get rid of him. Pilate's wife has a dream. I can't get into the whole story. There's a whole lot of cool stuff there. But in the midst of all that, what happens? He lends him over to the, to the Jews and says, you can have him. What do you want to do? And they said, we're going to crucify him. And you know what John chapter 19 says? They led him out, outside the city, to be crucified at the place known as Golgotha, the place of a skull. I believe that Jesus, <laughs> I believe that Jesus, the son of David, <laughs> would die in the very place where they buried Goliath's head, Goliath of Gath, Golgotha. <laughs> and they, they would bury him, they, they, they would bury that head there. A thousand years later, the blood of Jesus would flow. Goliath represented everything that hell would throw at you. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you, the blood of Jesus would come and cover everything <laughs> that the enemy has ever tried to come against you with. <laughs> You've been empowered by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no greater power on heaven or on earth. The blood of Jesus can set a man free. The blood of Jesus empowers you. The blood of Jesus keeps you. The blood of Jesus heals you. The blood of Jesus delivers you. The blood of Jesus will fix your marriage. The blood of Jesus will change your life. He didn't come to fix you. He came to give you a brand new life. The blood of Jesus sets us free. He 
paid an incredible price, man, to get you into family. Stand with me all over the house. I just feel Jesus in this moment. I've had so many different people have told me over the years, Pastor, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can make it. Can I tell you something? The blood of Jesus is for you, not against you. Can I tell you something? I was talking to God this morning, and he's in a good mood. Sure. Yeah. He's not mad and angry. Jesus paid the price. Oh, that you might be delivered, set free, healed, kept safe and sound. Sozoed. Saved, delivered, healed, set free, kept safe and sound, made secure. The blood of Jesus. Oh, if you're in this house this morning and you have yet, I got to talk to you real fast. We have this thing in the church. Please hear what I'm saying. We have this thing in the church that says, ask Jesus into your heart. Can I tell you something? It's totally unbiblical. There's never a place where he said, ask Jesus into your heart. It actually says, give him your entire life. Come on. Why? Come on. If he becomes the Lord of your life, that means he's the owner. If if you're renting from a landlord, why do they call him the landlord? Because he owns the land. How many understand when you call Jesus the Lord of your life, he's the life Lord. He owns your life. You don't own it anymore. You gave it to him. It's not about asking him into your heart. It's about giving him your entire life. It's not about incorporating Jesus into your week. It's about giving him your life, and he becomes the center of it. And everything about you is saying, Jesus, be the Lord of all. If you're in this place right now, and you're ready to say, Jesus, be the Lord of all my life. Jesus, I'm not just asking you into my heart. I'm giving you my life right now. I'm giving you every part of who I am. I am surrendering, submitting. I'm denying myself, taking up my cross, and following after you. If that's in your heart right now, would you just lift your hand? I just want to pray for you real quick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So many of you. Man, it's just a place of submitting it all before the Lordship of Jesus. Father, I thank you. I just thank you, Lord, for every hand and every heart. As we lift our lives before you, God, we're saying, Jesus, uh, be the Lord of all. Jesus, we submit it all. We surrender it all. We give it to you. Uh, Lord, uh, it's not just coming into our heart. It's take over our lives. Uh, As we submit and surrender, giving ourselves, yielding our life to Christ. uh, Holy Spirit, I welcome you right now touch us individually and corporately. I pray for every hand raised. God, that they'd have a personal encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. As we submit and surrender to you, we say thank you, Lord, that you would redeem us. It would be like as if we never even sinned, justified by faith, given freely over to Christ. And Lord, I thank you for a new life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Bless the Lord. Thanks for listening to another message from Fire Church Ministries. For more messages like this one or for other information, check out our website at firechurch.com.au.